So it's firmly my belief that we should be doing development forwards, fourth world, fifth world, sixth world, right? Instead of everybody trying to be first world, we should be going forward like tech. And places that are today considered third world nations or least developed countries are actually on the forefront of innovation because necessity breeds innovation. And you don't have all these entrenched legacy institutions, so it's easier to adopt cutting edge technology. Hi, and welcome to Solar for All, the podcast focused on issues of race, class, justice, and equity and the solar industry. Um, I'm your host, Jeff Greenfield, and uh, all the show notes and past episodes and some great resources are found at our website at solarforall.show, and that's spelled out S-H-O-W. With me today is uh, an amazing guest. We're really excited to have her, Sandra Kwok. Uh, Sandra is uh, coming to us from the West Coast, I think San, the Bay Area, San Francisco. Is that what part of uh, the, co- the country are you coming to us from? I'm right in the Mission District of San Francisco. Got it. Loud and clear coming to us through the, the satellite connections. She went to Emory University and then uh, went to the Presidio Grad School and got an MBA in sustainable business and has done a, a variety of things, has a, a pretty diverse background with tech positions and other nonprofit positions. She taught a course ahead of its time at San Francisco State University on race, activism, and climate justice back in 2016. Um, And for the past six or so years, uh, she's been putting her heart and soul into 10 Power. Um, And so she is the CEO and founder Uh, of that organization. We'll talk quite a bit about what they do and what she does with that organization. And uh, she's also on the board of the Foundation for Climate Restoration. And probably I'm leaving out seven or eight other really cool things that she does. Um, I would count her as an exemplar of the true believer, uh, both in climate, but also in justice and equity. And um, this is going to be a great pod. Welcome to Solar for All, Sandra. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Excited to be here. You know, a lot of times uh, people are interested in folks' backstories. And, and you know, for, for every 10 people you know in the solar biz, um, you know, there's probably about 15 backstories. And it's always interesting to find out about how the experiences that we have growing up or with our family or, you know, in education, um, might or might not shape where we're at today and, and what we're doing in, uh, in our present world. Um, if you could tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about, um, your, your solar journey, I think that'd be a great place to start. Well, my solar journey begins with my climate journey, which started in fourth grade in a Montessori classroom where I was browsing the bookshelves and came across this book, 50 Ways to Help the Earth, which mentioned global warming. And as a little girl, I read this and felt like chicken little. I started running around like, why is everyone not doing something about this? Can you guys believe it? Our planet is heating up. There's this blanket of greenhouse gases that's coming from cars and industry. And um, so with my elementary school background. I started a little zine, republished Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, um, gave a presentation to my entire school and dressed up 
what I thought a scientist looks like <laughs> as, a, as a, um, a scientist. I got a beard made of cotton balls and borrowed my dad's reading glasses and a big white shirt and, um, and gave a presentation about carbon dioxide and greenhouse gas emissions to my school. And I've been super passionate about climate change ever since I found out what it was. And in grad school at Presidio, while I was getting my MBA in sustainable business, I really started diving into where the bulk of carbon dioxide emissions come from, which is the built environment. And so looking at different ways in, in which we can reduce our carbon dioxide emissions associated with electricity, as well as transportation. So, um, so greening the electrical sector, the transportation sector in turn, electrifying cars. And... Um, and so that drove me towards energy efficiency. My first company that I started out of grad school was an energy efficiency um, for commercial buildings company. Um, from there, went into big data for the smart grid. And from there, went on to start 10 Power, which has a um, specifically climate justice focus and lens. Wow. So fourth grade, uh, I guess that's the advice to everybody that wants to have an exemplary career in Clean energy is to go back to fourth grade and start early, uh, early start awareness. Um, you know, in some ways that's kind of heavy. I mean, did that weigh heavy on you uh, to find out this 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 terrible, you know, tragic phenomenon that was was happening? I've always been an optimist, so so I think the sooner in my life that I was able to find out about real issues, the the faster I was able to start applying my imagination to solutions. And I think it's incredibly important for everyone, no matter where they are, you know, in, in terms of their career or life path, you know, to to come to reckoning and and to realize, you know, we're all constantly in a state of awakening. Right. And I, I think the pandemic has has provided a lot of opportunities for people to become more awake in what really matters to us. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement has has been a huge societal awakening. And there there's just a, a constant exposure to the multifaceted nature of our society with more and more information that we're receiving and the importance of intersectionality and where we're processing so much data right now in in terms of our awareness that it's important for us to be both patient with ourselves but also to rise to the challenge you know hear the call and we're we're at the thresholds of this what is hopefully a massive transformation happening in society right now and um and we're at the threshold of this portal where things can't go back to normal the carbon dioxide emissions globally were only reduced by 7% during the entire pandemic. And we need to be reducing emissions by 7.5% every single year until 2050 in order to, to get back to sustainable life-supporting levels on planet Earth. So it's really up to each of us, you know, whether, whether you're a fourth grader or you're retired, you know, to, to hear that call right now and for us to step through the portal. Wow. Well, I can hear the optimism and excitement and positivity in your voice. And, and I know that that carries you forwards in the work that you do. Um, and it's contagious. Um, I think that that's one of the things that, that activists and, and entrepreneurs can do is share that, that passion and share that kind of positive, positive worldview, um, with others. Um, I want to 
dial it back a minute. Uh, you said like the first company I founded out of grad school. So um, founding a company, that's a pretty big deal that a lot of people don't do. Sounds like that's just the way you roll or was that uh, a big heavy lift or, you know, other folks listening here might have a great idea, but might think that they don't have, you know, the, the, the chops to be a founder. They don't look like a founder, maybe. <laughs> I think a founder can come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, Presidio was a great platform for me. I, I actually felt pretty far away from my dreams before I found the program. And um, it provided a really great framework for doing need finding, for going out into the marketplace, identifying potential customers and interviewing them about what the biggest problems there were in their lives around what they were trying to accomplish. And so we got um, to spend two semesters working on both identifying problems, developing products, as well as launching a capstone business plan around a product. And, um, and so by the time we graduated, we had a business. We won a couple of business competitions, including um, being a finalist in the Walmart Sustainable Business Living Challenge in Bentonville, Arkansas. <laughs> and so we had, um, we had a product prototype for commercial building energy monitoring and management systems all the way down to the outlet level, tackling vampire power. And um, we were basically doing smart buildings ahead of its time before IoT was really a thing um, in 2009. And, um, and so it was a huge learning experience for us, really exciting um, in terms of being able to, to learn all the ins and outs of starting a business and creating partnerships. And, um, and I actually wound up um, working from there with a, um, a company that we'd been speaking with about partnerships in demand response, and that company is now doing virtual power plants. Um, yeah, it's been really fun seeing the evolution from the plug level to the international grid scale of these ideas. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that's pretty fantastic. And um, yeah, it sounds like you found the right grad program for you. That seemed to really support and uh and and nurture that 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 concept of finding a problem finding a solution and then going out and figuring out how to get it to the to marketplace um still i bet it was you know you probably got a lot of doors slammed in your face in terms of that founder's journey of trying to share that vision with other people um and of course learned learned along the way um every step of the way um, is there, are there things that you wish like a founder today had that, that you didn't have, or that wasn't available back then? There are definitely a lot more accelerators now than there were when, when we started our company. Um, we did pretty well as students on the business competition circuit, which I highly recommend anybody who's in school take advantage of business competitions that are out there. They're a really great launch pad for your company or your idea. We um, definitely were still on the early edge of the clean tech investment curve. So we're seeing a lot more interest and investment in clean tech right now. There's a much more vibrant ecosystem that's happening right now, more R&D dollars that are going into clean tech, and it seems to have been mainstreamed. So, so I think clean tech is pretty much a household word 
by this point. Whereas um, previously, you know, people were referring to renewables as alternative energy and things like that. Energy efficiency was um, still considered really unsexy because it was invisible and people just wanted prestige for putting solar panels on their roof. So energy efficiency oftentimes was being left by the wayside, even though, as Emery Levin says, the cheapest and cleanest form of electricity is the megawatt, that which is not consumed. So there are massive amounts of dollars in terms of savings and also carbon dioxide emissions reductions that are possible through energy efficiency um, that were being left on the table. And I think people are a lot more aware of that now. So it's great to see the ecosystem matured and um, and it's exciting to see it really becoming more commonplace for, for people to have clean tech efficiency and innovation in this field in their lexicon. Yeah, things have evolved. And I think that, you know, your words about right now being a portal um, is pretty, you know, it's it's exciting. I got a little goosebumps thinking about how society and how those with resources, which, you know, obviously lots of people are doing lots of things, but it's the North and it's the, 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 the capital that is moving fast and is going to really, really make an impact. I, I hope, we hope. Um, fast forward to 10 Power. Why don't you tell our audience what you're doing right now on the day-to-day and, um, and how that founder story went? Sure thing. 10 Power is working on renewable energy access in places that don't have electricity or don't have equal access to resources. So for the past six years, we've been working in Haiti, which is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, seventh poorest country on the planet. There's extreme fuel shortages and crises going on in Haiti right now, which impacts every single other aspect of life. And um, so, for example, hospitals don't have enough gas for their generators. And so people who are in incubators or babies who are um, in intubators are dying. And, and so it's really underscored for, for me the crucial life-supporting function that energy plays in our, our day-to-day survival and thrival. And so what 10 Power focuses on is bringing together local players, helping to support the growth of a local renewable energy ecosystem with a gender empowerment lens and sourcing the missing aspects or resources that are needed to create a thriving renewable energy market. So what that looks like in a lot of markets without equal access to electricity is capital. So finance, there's no ITC in Haiti. So so we've been sourcing blended capital stacks, which means combinations of philanthropy and more typical equity and debt investments and projects to be able to provide solar financing to our customers so that they can pay us back month over month. Before we arrived, a customer would have to have 100% cash up front, which not many people in the US, let alone Haiti, do. And um, we also provide ongoing project management and support. So we bring together local subcontractors. We make sure that the installations are happening according to international codes and standards and that there's an operations and maintenance plan. Because Haiti, being the Republic of NGOs, has a lot of projects that were built in really good faith as charity projects. But if there's not an O&M plan, they fall apart in a number of years. And that actually builds um, can build resentment in the community and um, and it's also just really sad, you know, to see a lot of money going into a project 
and not have it maintained and not have that expertise reside in the community, it's really a missed opportunity when there's not capacity building. Um, in that regard, we also run a women's solar installer training program. And um, I was really happy to see on the latest UN operations bid that came out in Haiti that there was a women's solar installer component to it. So, um, so we actually installed solar on UNICEF Haiti's headquarters in 2015. At that time, it was the largest solar plus storage installation on any UNICEF base in the entire world. And we're super proud that that happened in Haiti, you know, which is often sensationalized for poverty or natural disasters. And so it's firmly my belief that we should be doing development forwards, fourth world, fifth world, sixth world, right? Instead of everybody trying to be first world, we should be going forward like tech. And places that are today considered third world nations or least developed countries are actually on the forefront of innovation because necessity breeds innovation and you don't have all these entrenched legacy institutions. So it's easier to adopt cutting edge technology in a cost effective manner because people are already paying 45 cents to $2 per kilowatt hour there. So solar is cost competitive. Currently, 10 Power is looking at working more domestically. So, um, so we've engaged with several Native American tribes here in the United States. And, um, and we're really excited to be helping tribes work towards energy sovereignty and um, building a, um, an intertribal renewable energy council. I'm currently an advisory board member of the Indigenized Energy Initiative, and, um, and we're working with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and Northern Cheyenne Tribe on renewable energy initiatives. And this is particularly exciting to me because in the United States, energy has had a very horrendous relationship with tribal peoples. It's been an extractive relationship. It has been exploitative. People have been have been moved to really terrible land and and have had their homelands taken away from them. And then when resources are discovered on that land, again been removed from the place where they were relocated to. And when tribes have rejected exploitation by fossil fuel companies, they've still been forced to deal with the pollution and the harms and the spent uranium <laughs> that have come from the energy industry. And this is happening right now. Line 3 is being built by an international Canadian multinational corporation, Enbridge, underneath the Great Lakes, which is the largest freshwater body in the entire world, and the Mississippi headwaters, which provide two-thirds of the clean water in the United States. And this pipeline is being built by a company that has already created the world's largest land-based oil spill right here in the United States. And it's violating Ojibwe and Anishinaabe treaties. And there are women water protectors that are putting their bodies on the line right now, getting physically abused by policemen, being charged five to ten times the amount of bail as protesters normally are, and are being charged with ridiculous felony charges for stealing a corporation's time. Like, just, just absolutely... Egregious things are happening. The company is paying the local police force. It's so crazy the amount of injustice that's happening and, and this paradigm of exploitation between the energy industry and tribes. And so what we are working on is completely flipping that with renewable energy. And just because renewable energy is lower emissions doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a good thing for tribes, right? Like it's possible that 
there could still be exploitation by gigantic solar and wind farms, you know, taking tribal land. And so it's incredibly important that tribes have folks in their camp who have their best interests at heart and who can work side by side with tribal councils to make sure that the returns from these projects long term are flowing back to these communities where still 14% of people living on reservations don't have access to electricity. Some of the highest rates in the United States of non-electrification, um, which goes along with not having access to running water or basic sewage and sanitation. So you don't have to look very far to find environmental justice issues, especially right here in our own backyard. Well, I'm a little overwhelmed because I wrote down some notes about where I wanted to take this conversation, and then I kept writing and could go anywhere. Um, there's a lot, a lot that that Ten Power is doing, and um, thank you for bringing the work and the attitude towards the work from your experience in Haiti back here to, like you said plenty of work to be done all over the place, including, including North America. Um, yeah, yeah. The Enbridge pipeline is, you know, come right here through Ohio into the Michigan and we're all watching, you know, we have watched and are watching the, uh, the fight. Um, you're, one of the things you said was energy sovereignty and working with, you know, a variety of people, um, on that. Did, do you think, or can you tell me, did that flow out of the pipeline fights to be like a, an ad, like a, a follow on of like, okay, we're fighting over energy. We're fighting over, you know, gas pipelines and oil pipelines. Energy is, is affecting us. You said something about like flip the script. How did this originate? Did, did, did an idea, did some folks come to you and say, hey, let's work together? Or did you talk to some people in your network and say, hey, how can we how can we collaborate? A lot of tribes are talking about energy sovereignty and tribal sovereignty is part of the Constitution's Article 6 of the Constitution, um, which a lot of law enforcement agencies don't even know about. And um, tribal rights are continually violated, which is a constitutional violation. And, um, and so respecting tribal sovereignty um, is incredibly important and getting more tribes federally recognized is incredibly important. And a component of that is energy sovereignty. Um, I've seen a lot of racism um, in the energy sector towards tribes where tribes are, are being charged um, a, a ridiculously higher rate than other entities, other rural entities. So there's not the excuse that reservations are farther away, um, but it's, it's simply that um, energy companies are taking advantage of tribes. And, and so there's a lot of opportunity for not only for financial returns to come back to tribes and for those um, returns to be invested into education and, and basic services, healthcare, housing, you know, other things that the tribes need. But also, if the, if the talent pool resides within the tribes, there's an incredible opportunity for creating more jobs on reservations and, and for helping people to have hope so um, Indigenized Energy Initiative recently did a, um, a, a project on um, Standing Rock, very close to where the No DAPL movement happens, and youth from five different tribes came and got trained on solar installation. And, um, and there was a documentary film crew there. Afterwards, they were interviewing the youth, and one of the young men 
said, you know, last week I was thinking about committing suicide and this project brought new hope to my life. So um, a lot of the issues with structural racism and systemic poverty that have been pushed upon indigenous communities can hopefully start to be addressed through energy sovereignty. And, um, and it ties in with what a lot of tribal councils are talking about. There's also um, an exciting resolution that passed recently with the Northern Cheyenne Tribal Council because the tribe has been fighting fossil fuels. They're, um, they're next to Coal Strip in Montana, which is one of the most polluting coal-fired power plants in the world. And, um, and it's, it's being sunsetted right now, but the tribe has been fighting it since day one. And, um, and they've refused to take any money from fossil fuel interests. And just this last year, they said, as a tribal council, we've been saying no. We've been saying no continuously to fossil fuels. It's time that we say yes to something. And so they passed a, a resolution for a renewable energy council. And so, so now they're investing that energy instead of just fighting what they don't want into actively creating what they do want. And there's a very deep relationship with stewardship and the planet and as well as celestial objects, including the sun, you know, that, that comes with tens of thousands of years of observation of natural systems. And, and the, the sun is very much part of the culture Cody Two Bears with Indigenized Energy Initiative talks a lot about this, you know, the, the sun, there's Sundance, there, there are a lot of, um, stories and and a lot of significance to the sun and so so it's it's part of the overall narrative that i i feel really deeply within my spirit you know that, that we all need to remember how to indigenize if we're going to figure out how to survive as a human race on the planet they you know indigenous people were able to live in a restorative and regenerative relationship with mother earth for we're discovering older and older, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, right? Like we're, we're discovering artifacts every day for, for how long humanity has been able to, to live really in right relationship with natural systems and in, in a way that gives back. And it's really been since the Industrial Revolution, which was seven generations ago, about 500 years ago, that we have created this completely extractive relationship, which has created climate change and, and the fifth great extinction and is wiping out life on planet earth as we know it, including us. So, so it's important that we listen to indigenous voices and that we all learn how to re-indigenize ourselves if we're going to make it. Re-indigenize ourselves. You know, I run with a pretty cool pack of people with a lot of good ideas, but I've never heard that phrase. And it seems obvious and seems in, you know, exciting and uh, inspires curiosity. Um, but thanks for sharing it. Um, and boy, uh, we're going to put some links to everything that just went down in the show notes, uh, that are, you know, accompany this episode at soverforall.show. Um, and hopefully maybe, uh, through your network, bring in some more guests, because this is a whole spectrum of smart people and hard work that I think, I'd like to learn more about, and I, I think our, our listeners and viewers would like to know more about, and we'd like to amplify. Um, it sounds like that's what you're doing. You're you're basically synthesizing ideas and tactics and actions that you're 
you're a part of or you're ancillary to and and then bring them out or, or borrowing them you know it sounds like maybe you've borrowed some things that worked in haiti some trial and error and some collaboration and maybe bringing some of those ideas here to your your current work in north america and probably vice versa are there things that you're going to be bringing back to uh hopefully you're going to continue to be doing projects in haiti um are the projects going to be changing based on some of the work you're doing with uh the indigenous folks here we're a global community and all of us have so much to learn from each other i think it's i think it's impossible not to have a positive exchange in between the different communities that we're working with and and it's amazing we have so much more in common than we do that that divides us or or splits us apart and looking at frontline communities across the world you know we're we're facing similar challenges everywhere and especially as we're seeing the accelerating impacts of climate change and the need for mutual aid and community resilience the the ties that that bind together people in really difficult places in frontline communities are something that all of all of humanity needs to survive bringing us back to the, to the roots of of who we really are as creatures so yeah there's definitely a positive exchange that's happening with the different communities that I work with and and we're hoping to create a replicable and resilient model. Did we plan all this? This is just flowing so nicely. I, I, I'm learning so much from you and I'm, more than that, I'm getting hope rekindled. I have to be honest, I get, I get depressed. I get despondent. I look at the facts. I look at the behaviors. I, I look at things like how hard it is for a democratically controlled Congress with a democratically controlled Senate and a democratic president to get stuff done in the window that they have. And again, I, it's, it's, you know, it's always a balance between losing hope and maintaining hope and the, you interacting with you is, uh, I remember when we met in Colorado at uh, the R day conference, you're an inspirational person and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Let's see. Back to back to uh, Ten Power and that effectively being a platform for you to to do good and to to help to contribute. You know, I don't think that you go out and fix things for people or solve things for others, but I think you really are more of a a collaborator, more of an empowerment vehicle. Um, when you were founding that group, I'm sure that uh, it probably still is an uphill journey. Um, we have, you know, in the bills that I just mentioned, the, the infrastructure bill, I guess just passed. And now we're hopefully we've been promised that we're going to get the build back better companion bill. Um, it's, we're at a doorway, a portal for really the vision of this show, solar for all solar can not only be a climate change, uh, you know, tool, but also a social change tool. We've got the ability for the job creation and a huge, huge economic shift of our entire economy shifting over to, to all manner of clean tech can be transformational for, for the social challenges that I think George Floyd's murder has made more apparent for many people and that plenty of folks have been living with all their lives. Um, as a as a BIPOC and female founder, what what are you looking for to come out of this legislation um, so that another Sandra out there with a great idea 
um, might have a better a better go of it or a more likely successful path forwards. I'm hopeful about the capital that's been allocated in the infrastructure bills specifically for marginalized communities, for Native communities and BIPOC communities. Um, there are also a lot of great tax incentives that would um, extend or go above and beyond the investment tax credit for solar, which will create a lot of investment opportunities for the private sector to, um, to really do some catalytic good. And I think it's incredibly important for the investment community to be paying attention to supporting founders who are from communities that they're serving and, um, and to, to be paying attention to underrepresented founders. In, um, in venture capital, less than 5% of funding goes to women and less than 2% of funding goes to women of color. And if you look at job creators the bulk of job creators in um, in the business arena are um, small to medium women led and people of color led businesses. And so if we're if we're looking at economic stimulation, if we're if we're looking at climate justice, if we're looking at environmental justice, there's an incredible opportunity here to leverage a lot of the funding that's coming out of the infrastructure bill and hopefully the build back better reconciliation bills and for us to to leverage the private sector, leverage philanthropy as well as this government funding that's coming down the chute. So, so we're, we're really looking at a tremendous opportunity to completely transform our society, but we, we need to not do the same exact things that we were doing before, right? Let's actually build back differently. Let's build back fossil-free. Let's build back intersectionally, right? Let's build back with representation. And, and this is the pathway to creating a, a more diverse and egalitarian society is helping the capital to flow into the hands of people who are going to share it with the communities that need it most. And, um, and so that's, that's what I'm looking forward to in these next couple of months and year as, um, as, as we're seeing this legislation passed. I think it's incredibly important that we act now on climate change. We're really you know, at the 11th hour, almost past the point of no return. And I get disillusioned too, Jeff. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm normally an optimist, but sometimes I get incredibly frustrated. And um, I, I organize extracurricularly with Extinction Rebellion. That's my therapy. <laughs> Just going out and raising a ruckus in the streets <laughs> when I get frustrated with the, the pace at which business and politics moves. Um, I, I love nonviolent direct activism as um and and um <laughs> in your face street art um those those are kind of my therapy and ways that I find to express myself when I'm I'm just sick of it all. Well I'll tell you the street activism of two summers ago, it's hard to it seems like yesterday, um, I think rattled a lot of cages and 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 made a lot of noise. And um I think you know, it, everybody viewed it differently and phrased it differently. I myself on, on this podcast with another guest, you know, used the word riot. And we got into a discussion of how powerful naming is and, you know, how, how, how uprising, you know, we don't call it the revolutionary riot of, you know, in, in Boston, you know, we tell that story differently. Um, but it was transformational for a lot of people. It inspired me to look at my life and how could I do more? And, and thus this podcast was born as someone who, again, was, you know, teaching a, 
course on race activism and climate justice, you know, years and years before these terms became mainstream, what was going through your head that summer? Or what kind of conversations were you having as, as the, the, the footage of people rising up um, was taking place? I was feeling like, finally, <laughs> this is happening, you know? And I, I was out there in the streets with everyone else, and it was such a beautiful blossoming of consciousness, you know, and, and really incredibly, in, in most places, peaceful, and, and there was so much solidarity that was, you know, initiated that's still happening. You know, those seeds were planted and are growing deeper and deeper and deeper. And for me personally, the decolonization conversations that were happening, um, you know, beginning at that time, especially, um, or at least becoming louder at that time um, and persisting now, the the types of circles and support circles um, that people were hosting and books that folks are reading um, helped me to see the ways in which you know, colonialism is oppressing every single one of us, you know, no matter what color your skin is or what your heritage is, we have adopted these um, frameworks that are really toxic for human beings and power dynamics that are toxic for human beings, Sim similar to the way that toxic masculinity hurts men as well as it hurts women. You know, having a colonialist mindset um, really is important to, to, begin dismantling within yourself. And I love Adrian Marie Brown's Emergent Strategy, um, you know, which talks about, it's an, an incredible book that talks about how everything that we do is a fractal that, that starts within ourselves. And my, for, for me, that was exploring my own heritage and, and ways in which the environment in which I grew up um, caused me in some ways to mentally oppress myself, you know, and, and being able to get rid of those narratives and shed those stories. And, and then from there, circling into my community, my family, my work, and every single relationship that you have, including fundamentally the relationship with yourself, plays into the way that you show up in the world and the types of projects and communities that you're growing, the gardens that you're planting, you know, the, the worldwide movements that you're plugging into. And, um, and so just, just like, you know, if, if you're having a, a toxic day, you might bring that into work with you. You know, in activism, it's equally important that we resolve the the fundamental reasons of like what are we actually struggling against, you know, and 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 what are we fighting for, and um, and so I think a lot of those concepts really came into the fore, and it's it's been an incredible journey for me, and I would encourage anybody else wherever you are in that journey for yourself to to really dive deep into what decolonization looks like for you personally. It's um it's it's a very very powerful path to be on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like personal growth, like doing your own psycho, you know, psychological counseling <laughs> relationships and family history applied to your own relationship with culture and then applied to culture because culture really reflects really we have control of culture and we perpetuate it and, and shape it. You healing yourself heals the world. As above, so below. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's a heavy responsibility too. Wouldn't it be easier just to watch TV and uh, work on getting that next paycheck and maybe buying that shiny new car? Get back to work. <laughs> that's how we. That's how we wind up with crises, right? <laughs> Midlife crisis, the climate crisis. <laughs> well, again, right now, for so many different reasons, it's 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 an awakening and it's a portal. To use the phrase you you opened up with. Um, we're going through a portal and it's, it's probably a bumpy ride, but, uh, that's part of it. You know, there's a Paulo Freire quote and I, I may not get it right, but the gist of it is only the oppressed by feel, freeing themselves will free their oppressor. And, and that, you know, it's a, it's somewhat controversial. I'm not saying it's, it's truth, but, um, it's, it's really useful. In any case, we could we could go on and on and on. Um, one of the questions I have for you is, um, you know, what kinds of advice you have for our listeners? And we've got this whole section called the the Soul for All Better Together section. And part one is the note and promote, where our guests suggest a book or author or thought leader, and uh, that they want to amplify. Awesome, yeah. Adrian Marie Brown's Emergent Strategy is an incredible book. Um, Decolonize Wealth is another really good one. I just finished Braiding Sweetgrass, which is a beautiful book that combines um, by a biology PhD who also comes from indigenous heritage um, and combines the, the knowledge that we have about plants with the stories from the plants themselves. Um, so many, so many good books out there. Overstory, if you're into fiction. <laughs> you're, a, you're an overachiever there. I asked for one and you're, you're giving me six. Um, how about a piece of advice or wisdom that's been really useful for you that you want to share with our listeners? Mm, I'm channeling my grandmother, Ida Cordell here. And she, in um, the 1940s, was an editor of the New York Times, just incredible, incredible woman. And um, her word that she would always come back to is perseverance wins persevere. That's definitely kept me going difficult environments. The kind of thing, especially when it comes from a grandmother who was way ahead of her time, if she was uh, an editor at the New York Times in that era, she must have been quite perseverant to to have arrived and then navigate uh, in that quite man's world uh, back then, or even today, I'm sure um, we all need to persevere. Um, and then music. Music is one of the things that helps me persevere and march forwards. Um, I love it when I get an actual musician on my my show. Um, I know you've got a background with quite a bit of different music. Um, two songs, something that's a go-to standby and something that's fresh that uh, folks may not have heard of. What you got for us? Ooh, a song I always come home to is Wolf and I by Oland. That's a classic on my playlist. And someone who I just discovered recently is Sampa the Great. And she has an awesome song about energy. Funny enough, today in the New Yorker, I was reading about energy from our mitochondria inside of our cells, but then they kind of got into human energy. You know how we give each other energy when we start talking. And when I sing, I get all this energy. You know, if you're ever cold, just start singing at the top of your lungs and you'll warm up immediately. And I like to think about. 
I like to think about renewable energy in terms of what we as humans can generate. You know, like love is a renewable resource. And the more that you put out there in the world, the more that you receive back. And um, so, yeah, this this song by Sampa the Great is called Energy, and it's it's a really good one that I've had on rotation recently. Oh, man, I'm so stoked to listen to this stuff. Um, so, yeah, this is the 1 Plus 1 Better Together playlist. It's on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, etc. Um, you can find a, a playlist as diverse as the guests on the show. And then um, what what's your current musical project? Maybe we'll put some links in the show notes to uh, some YouTube or some other uh, music that's out there that you're doing. What, what's the latest that you're up to? I have a band called the Sea Stars, and we are a band of sisters, five of us united not by blood, but by a shared passion to make the world a better place through regenerative harmonies. And um, we actually just released a music video and a track called Move Me that was aired at the Verge Conference at the end of October for 10,000 people. And um, we have a couple of other songs, hopefully recording an album soon. And um, all of all of the songs are about a regenerative future that's possible for all of life on planet Earth. Wow. Well, as you have learned on this show today that Sandra is a Renaissance person with uh, something going on in a bunch of different areas. And um, yeah, love is a regenerative or a, a renewable energy source. And uh, I get that. I feel better now than I did at the beginning of the pod. Thank you for that. And thank you for, for all you do uh, out there in the world and in all the, the circles that you're in, Sandra. Thank you, Jeff. Really great to spend this time together. Yeah. Um, I, I wish we had gotten you on sooner and I want to keep in touch and, and, and learn more um, perhaps on another pod. We, uh, we kind of compressed this. I think we could talk for hours. Um, the show notes for a lot of the uh, folks and stories that we touched on, uh, we'll have links, we'll have resources at solarforall.show. Please subscribe. Please promote. If this is important to you, if this subject matter is something you believe in, the way you can participate is to get the word out on your socials, on LinkedIn, with people in your circle that uh, you think that this would be useful for. And if we're going to be successful in the fight against climate change, we need to turn it into a fight for social change um, and get everybody on the team. This is a, a, a portal that we are at. We're, we're going through together and we are all shaping it. Um, and uh, thanks again, Sandra, for being on our show. And best of luck in all of your endeavors from, from music to 10 power to whatever's next. Who knows, 10 years from now, you're going to be doing stuff that's not even, you know, in your consciousness right now. That's what I predict. 